So Matthew 14, uh, right before this story where the Jesus walking on water story, um, right before this story, uh, Jesus is with thousands of people. His disciples are there with him. And they're like, hey, um, uh, Jesus says to them, uh, guys, uh, everybody's hungry, so get them some food. Uh, feed, feed these thousands of people, please. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, there's 5,000 men and their families here. Uh, we've got a few loaves and fish. We, don't, we can't feed them. And we know the rest of the story there. Jesus multiplies the food that they have. And they feed all of these people. And they have all of these leftovers. You could imagine uh, the work that that would be feeding 5,000 families. If they start at, let's say, the middle of the day, lunchtime, and they're carrying around food as it multiplies to 5,000 men and their families, that's a lot of food. That's a lot of work. Uh, I would guess we, if, we, if we were the team, you know, there's more than 12 of us here, but could you imagine all of us serving 5,000 people and their families? For a meal, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. It's hard enough to feed my own family and not be exhausted, you know. And that's, there's just five of us. Amen. I got an amen from the guy with twins. Yeah. So, uh, that's a big deal. They're tired, and Jesus knows that. They've, they've just gone to work. They have, they have blessed and ministered and served all of these people. And so, the story, as the story goes, Jesus... Um, sends them off, which I find so fascinating. Jesus um, sends them. He puts them in a boat. They're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. He puts them in a boat and says, okay, hey, guys, go. We know from another version of the story, not just the mutated PowerPoint that you saw, but another version in another gospel that he sent them to Capernaum, which is a bunch of their home. So he's, he's saying, guys, go home. You're tired. You've had a long day. Um, it's time to get some rest. So take, take the jaunt across the lake and I will dismiss the crowds. Which is really, that's interesting to me. Like in our celebrity culture today, um, what A-list speaker stays to dismiss the crowd while he dismisses the serving staff to go home? But like that is, that's what Jesus does. He's, he's the one that stays behind to wrap up all of the final details. This is just par for the course in the servant mentality that Jesus has in leadership. He's not afraid to do the grunt work or the, the more menial tasks um, and to let the disciples go and get the rest that they need. Um, after Jesus dismisses the crowd, he goes up onto a mountainside and um, he, he prays. Um, he's probably tired too, so... He's probably resting. Jesus is practicing the semicircle of rest and work. You know, he's worked hard and now it's time to rest. He's refreshing himself. He's communing with his father. And um, while he's doing this, I'm sure the disciples, as they took off for Capernaum, they were just expecting that Jesus is going to walk the shoreline um, along the north side of the lake and meet them in Capernaum uh, later. While the disciples are on their way, Jesus is on the mountainside praying. Um, a storm bubbles up 
on the water and the winds start to go. The waves start to buffet the sides of the ship. Now, you need to know this about good old Sea of Galilee. It is 13 miles long and it's about 7 miles wide. So if the disciples are leaving from the east side to go to the northwest side in Capernaum, the jaunt across is about six miles, six miles in the water. And I tried to guesstimate, you know, I'm not like a professional rower. So I, I talked to Dr. Google and Mr. Wikipedia and my best guess. And if you are, I know we have some nautical folks in the audience. Uh, my best guess, maybe if, you know, if we get, if we gave them, you know, a conservative estimate that maybe they're able to go in a, in a fishing boat three or four knots an hour, that seemed fair, which is, I don't know, three and a half, four and a half miles, something like that. These guys should be able to get, at my best guess, and I could be wrong, they should be able to get across the water in about an hour and a half or so, pretty, pretty easily. So, you know, we've got 90 minutes till we get home. We're going to row it out, get across, the, get across the sea, get home and rest. So, um, the wind hits though, and the wind... Uh, changes everything. The way that I know this is because I picked up uh, cycling. And like a boat, I am a very large object. <laughs> and and um, let me tell you, when I'm on my road bike going around White Rock Lake, um, I always know, the only way, really, I know that the wind is at my back is that I'm going very fast. Like, for me, fast is, I'm, you know... 16, 17, 18 miles an hour. Um, and like the drag, I'm not feeling any drag. I'm just moving. I'm like, this feels so great, man. I must be in great shape today. This is amazing. And then you get around to the other side of the lake and realize, oh, the reason I was moving so fast is because the wind was at my back. And now it feels like I'm just moving in motion in place. You know, like I'm, I'm now going three and four miles an hour because the wind is catching the huge sails that are my body and keeping me from going anywhere. So imagine this large boat catching the wind, catching the waves. They're not going anywhere. We know from other parts of the story that in the middle of the night, the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., they are still in the middle of the lake. So six miles wide, we have from one story the word middle. So they're in the middle. So maybe they've made it three miles of the six miles. And they've been rowing for nine hours. Nine hours on, on the sea. That's a long time. And, and the dynamic that's at play, because of the whole feeding the 5,000 thing, um, have you ever had one of those experiences where you work and work and work and then you get off work and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to do a lot more work, you know, unexpectedly. What's that? A newborn. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. A newborn. That's a way better example than the one that I'm going to give. In, in fact, I probably should just quit and not do that example because it's going to get judged in life. I was going to I was going to talk about hiking. You know, in college one time we climbed Mount Olympus uh, when we were in Greece, 
And um, we climbed all the way to the base of the summit. And it took us all day. We found this little cottage with lentil soup. And it was the most delicious food I have ever tasted in my life. I was worn out. And I don't know why. Like, I just felt like we've arrived. I'm done. And after that meal, you know, I was kind of delirious because I was so exhausted. Um, After that meal, it dawns on me. We have to get down tonight. Down, all the way down Mount Olympus. Like, I had this great feeling of, oh, we've arrived. And then, oh, man, we've got lots of work to do. And, in fact, we've got to catch a train, that the last train that leaves, and we've got to bust it down this mountain. A, a similar dynamic, having a baby, way better example of, like, they've worked hard all day. They leave in the late afternoon, and suddenly they're nine hours fighting for their lives on the sea and they've made it halfway across. And so into this, so, so I don't know if Jesus gets some sort of prophetic insight in prayer. The Father says, uh, Jesus, the disciples need some help. You might want to check on them. They're in the middle of the sea. And, you know, the disciples, they're, they're, they're working hard out there and they, they see this figure in the distance. And if it's me, I'm thinking I'm hallucinating. I'm so deliriously tired. But they, they think maybe this is a spirit or a ghost. They start to get really afraid. And then they hear this voice. Take courage. It's me. Uh, don't be afraid. They recognize the voice of Jesus. And then Peter says, Oh, Lord, uh, if it's you... Ask me to come out there. So just to just to confirm. What? I'm sorry. Like, he really has been working an 18-hour shift. He's not in his right mind, seemingly, to call out to Jesus and say, Let me walk. Get me out of this boat. I've been, I've been in the water for nine hours. Uh, I don't care. I'll, I'll go swim in the water. I'll come take a drink with you. Uh, ask me to come out there, Jesus. It's, it's uh, on the surface. Ridiculous that that Peter would ask Jesus, "Hey, beckon me to come out on the water." But what we have to remember is Peter's first encounter, at least one of the first encounter, um, was on a boat too. Do you remember that story? Um, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew four or five, and he's out there fishing. He's a professional fisherman. He's been fishing all through the night. He's trying to make the bacon or the fish, as it were, for the family. And they've caught nothing. And Jesus shows up. He comes out there and he says, throw them out again. And they catch all of these fish. It almost sinks their boat. Um, So Peter's seen Jesus do this. He's seen guys that don't walk start to walk again after Jesus says, be healed and get up, take your mat and go. He's seen Jesus take loaves and fishes and multiply them into enough food for 5,000 families just hours before. So maybe Peter isn't totally crazy for saying, well, hey, what the heck? I mean, if Jesus is really out there and He's on water and He can do all of these other things, I would much rather be out there with Him than in this boat fighting for my life. And so Peter hears Jesus say, Come, come Peter, I'm waiting for you. He gets out of the boat uh, he starts to walk toward Jesus. And uh, all of a sudden, as if he hadn't known it before, he starts to notice and get distracted by the wind. 
and by the waves around him and he takes his eyes off Jesus who he was walking toward and he finds himself sinking and then starting to freak out a little bit and he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me! And before he knows it, Jesus is right there with him, pulling him up out of the water. And Jesus says to him, I think gently, not scoldingly or or judgmentally, uh, but Jesus says to him, Peter, why'd you doubt me, bro? Why, why, why didn't you believe? Why, why, didn't you, why didn't you have faith in me, man? I'm here for you. And he pulls him up out of the water and they get in the boat. And it says the winds died down, um, which meant they could get across the water. Um, which part of me wonders, and maybe we can talk about this in a minute, you know. Jesus, it would have been nice, you know, if I'm Peter, for you to like help the winds to die down before I get out of the boat. But maybe there's some purpose uh, in that. But what's interesting, so to add, maybe it's having a baby after uh, having a baby that would be the equivalent of what happens next because they get to the shore, the story tells us. And by that point, you know, remember, Jesus comes over in the middle of the night. It's almost it's right before dawn, Matthew tells us. So by the time that they get to the shore, it's morning. There are people out and about. Some people see Jesus. Oh, Jesus is here. And it's back in the action. And, and the story tells us that they go about ministry and healing um, all over again. So it's probably good that Jesus got some rest on the mountain because he was, he was right back to work uh, on, on the sea and then on the side of the lake. Um. In what ways do you identify with Peter in this story? Maybe it's not Peter, maybe it's somebody else in this story or some other thing that you identify with. In what ways do you identify with Peter in this story? And that's a question for everybody to respond to. Just not rhetorical, just in case. Becoming afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Jumping into something and then thinking, whoa, what have I gotten into? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Back up, where's the side of the boat? Where is it? <laughs> uh, it was a hallucination after all. <laughs> That's right. Can can the hospital take the baby back, please? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. People are thinking about Peter getting up there saying, Peter, what's your name? Say it wrong. Touche, Jesus. Touche. Yeah. Yeah. Being tired. Being tired. <laughs> Says the father of twins. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, they, the disciples are in an exhausted place. In the in the midst of the sea, yeah. Um, I find myself the moment as I reflected on this story, I found myself really gravitating to the same moment many of you mentioned, um, where Peter steps out of the boat and into the water, and and starts to um, look around at the like he's being buffeted himself now by the waves. And almost blown over by the wind himself. And I, I guess uh, for me, kind of trying to... I think if I'm in Peter's 
uh, position in the moment, I'm probably not having any rational thoughts. I'm just like trying to survive or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't think clearly when I'm afraid. Um, but from the outside, thinking about Peter, there is a part of me that's like a little confused. Like, like Peter is taking this great step toward Jesus. And why is it so hard to do that? Like, why? why? Jesus is the Lord over all creation. And what, what's the deal with the continued wind and the continued waves, even after he steps out of the boat? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't it be a little calmer? Like, let me, let me roll out the carpet for you, um, Peter, so you can get to me a little easier. Yeah, lead me beside the calm streams, Lord. Yeah, so that I can walk on them. Yes. Yeah, and I, th- I think that, that resonates with me because I mean, we have this idea in, and I think it's right uh, on some levels, um, that like when, when God gives us a vision, that God also gives provision. For the vision, right? If God calls us into an adventure with Himself, that God is going to take care of us along the way, right? Um, and yet here we have this story. Jesus is, or Paul is getting, or Peter, I'll give his name, Peter is getting out of the boat to go on this adventure with Jesus, and he doesn't get smooth sailing. Um, his, he's not guaranteed to have this perfectly calm path all of the way to Jesus. Um, Jesus doesn't calm the storm to make it easier on him. Uh, Jesus lets him face the full weight of it all, which is counterintuitive for me. Um, we can say God provides when he gives this vision, but, but that doesn't mean that everything is hunky and dory and, and everything is straight and easy, right? That doesn't mean there's no hardship when we respond to the call of God, when He gives us vision for something. Uh, what does this story show us about Jesus? This is the Gospel, after all. What, what is, what's Matthew and Mark and John? What are, they, what are they trying to tell us or show us about who Jesus is? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's good. And and just to interject, I think one one thing that comes out in what Daryl's saying, and one thing that can be lost on us as uh, 21st century Americans, the the cultural frame for Jewish folk, uh, and in the Hebrew Bible, um, the elemental forces that Daryl was talking about, water in particular, for Hebrew folk, 
is the embodiment of chaos. It is, it is, and, and when, when um, the creation story is framed in terms of God domesticating chaos, God showing, showing um, that He has the power to bring order into the chaos. And, um, and yeah, for Jesus to walk on the chaos and not be swallowed by it is um, like that harkens back to the, very, to the very creation story. It's identifying Jesus with Creator God who, who domesticates chaos, who, who overcomes the, the sea monster of chaos, uh, Rahab, that Job talks about. Um, the spirit that hovers over the waters. The spirit hovers over the waters. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Val, you're going to say something. Um, for me, what I really like about this story um, when Peter starts to sink, you know, he's afraid, he's panicked, and he just cries out like, Lord, save me, help me. And the thing that I always, always love about the story is it says immediately. Yeah. Like, not five minutes, not an hour, not like immediately. Yeah. And like, I can identify so much with being in a state of panic, literally, mm. and being like, I need help. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to wait two minutes, mm-hmm. five minutes. No. You need it now. Yep. And I love that, yes, like, he didn't calm the wave. I mean, he still had to be in this chaos. But, like, God was there, and he immediately grabbed him. Yeah. You know? Yep. Mm-hmm. I love that. That is. That's fabulous. And so... If you were if you were to say what what for you does Jesus immediacy what does that say about who Jesus is? I mean it 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 shows that he's there and I think it shows also that in substance he understood the urgency that Peter was feeling. Mm, yeah. And while it doesn't take away like the difficulty Peter went through, it provides some level of comfort just knowing that he was there yeah. and understanding. Yes. So Jesus was present. Jesus is present with his disciples. He's present with his people. Um, what you're saying reminds me, too, of several moments where um, in the in the gospel story where it talks about how Jesus, like maybe it's Matthew 9, where it says that Jesus saw the crowds and they were like... Um, a sheep without a shepherd and it says that he was filled with compassion you know like jesus when jesus sees people in need um he's filled with compassion jesus is the near one he's the compassionate one and he he responds um with immediacy when we cry for help yeah any other thoughts about what this says about jesus john yeah, well, I'm thinking like uh, <clears throat> uh, these, these signs. Uh, this is a sign that points to, to, to Christ, you know, the divinity of Christ. And there's lots of stories about healings, and that's all fine. That's kind of like a category of signs, pointers. You know, there's a whole group of deliverances, and that's that's interesting. The eighty-five thousand. These are like totally different categories of indicators. Multiple, most pages. But then stopping the waves, kind of like, whoa, way over there, all by some separate galaxy of signs. Unlike healings. Mm. It's kind of like, you know, he really, really is God. Yeah. Really. Yeah. He, he's pretty powerful. He's got some 
He's got some mighty strength going on. Not just withered hands. Uh huh. Not just bread, but storms. Uh huh. Yeah, that's big time. Yeah. I think when I was a kid and I heard this lesson sometimes, I thought, this is Jesus trying to teach Peter something. He was saying she'd make it like greater, or you know, there's some confusion of the story of like, this was a test, and Jesus was trying to teach him something. And, like this word immediately and some of these other things, like, Yeah, well, I think part of what what dawned on me in the story reading it, too, is that, well, first, the person who initiates um, this experience is Peter when he says, Lord, I want to come out now. I mean, you could retort uh, that, but well, but you could retort that that Jesus, this may, you know, Jesus this is not the last time if Jesus knows that that's coming from Peter, um, this, is not, you know, Jesus uh, has in other circumstances with Peter said, "Hey Peter, you're going to do this in the future. Namely, betray me three times." Like Jesus knows that that's coming in Peter, so maybe he could see that um, coming. Um, but I, why does Jesus come out on the water to these guys? Like I, I think the, the impulse of Jesus to uh, come out on the water to these guys. And who knows? I mean, maybe he's gone. He couldn't find them. Maybe he has some insight from God that says. They're on the water. They're afraid for their lives. They need help. Like, why else would Jesus go out to them except to help them? Like, Jesus is out there to help them, to to bring them peace, to bring some calm to the water, uh, to help them. That's the that's the that's the base level. Not to uh, all right. Now you guys need to have faith. You know, trust me. Like, I'm here to help you. Like, I'm I'm here to be with you. I I don't want you to be afraid because I've got this. Yeah. Nepal, I was kind of thinking of what Julie said to piggyback up what Val said. I was thinking about um, teaching Eloise to walk. Hmm. We have all these like child you know, stories now, something that one It happens. Our frameworks, our minds. But as she's learning to walk, which is an amazing process, uh, I think in every parent's life of, of seeing your child go from, you know, totally immobile to crawling to walking. And you know, sometimes I let her her walk in the chaos around her. You mm-hmm. know, I know that she can fall. I know that she could hurt herself, and I'm I'm there watching over her because I know I'm not always going to be there for her. Mm. And so I want her to practice that to get stronger, so that she can do these things when I'm not there. Mm. Um, and and when I was thinking about it like that, it's it's like Jesus wanted Peter to experience walking in the chaos mm. because he knew he wasn't always going to be there with that immediacy, that physical presence to take care of Peter. Yeah. And he said, "I want you to practice this." But just like mm. when Eloise, you know, starts to take a tumble or or maybe veer <coughs> towards something that can be dangerous, and she reaches up for us, mm. usually one of us, mostly, are there to catch her um, before she. That has any serious harm. Yep. I think that's what Jesus was, was doing. It's really good, Miles. So, what in all of this? What what might God be saying to us 
individually or communally through this story. Um, And for the sake of time, let me just tell you what's been popping up for me. I think the natural, maybe it's not a temptation. That makes it sound like you're going to sin if you read the Bible this way. The natural inclination in reading this story is to be like, oh, the message of this story to us is, you know, kind of the Jesus lesson book story. Like, have faith in Jesus, you guys. Okay? Trust in Jesus. Trust. God is worthy of your trust. Jesus is worthy of your trust. Trust in Jesus. And that's true, right? Um, Way easier to say than to actually do. Um, Because here we are in a tidy little boat, you know, in this rec center, and we're we're together. We're singing worship songs. The uh, the world and all of our troubles are out there. I mean, except for the ones we you know we carried with us in here. I mean, certainly we brought ourselves here. But you know, we're we're in the boat here, right? Uh, it's it's way easier to say, have faith, trust in Jesus. You know, that's the lesson. Go and do it. Um, I wonder if a better message in this story is um, step out of the boat. What's the boat for you? What's the boat? What's the boat for storyline? Step out of the boat. Because the only way we will grow, the only way we will learn faith and that Jesus is trustworthy and dependable is if we step out of the boat. If we wait until we have enough faith or we feel like we're ready enough to step out of the boat, we will never step out of the boat. We will stay in the boat and talk about it all day like, oh, I wonder, you know, we should have more faith. Yeah, yeah. We'll never step out of the boat. The way we get to grow in faith is to step out of the boat. It is to face the waves and the wind with Jesus with us, near us, close to us, wanting to help us, having compassion on us, wanting to walk with us as we grow in faith and trust. Um, What helps our muscles grow and get stronger? Just sitting here? No. Resistance. Um, that's why these have not gotten stronger. You know, they <laughs> need some resistance. Need some some dumbbells. Right? Chloe thinks that's really fun. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've noticed that. Mm-hmm. It's resistance. It's the resistance that forms us, that builds strength. It's the waves and the wind that actually form us. And we can't experience those. Unless we step out of the boat. Somebody wanted to say something somewhere. It's going back to what you were saying about Jesus coming into chaos. Is that that's when we see it. We can't really expect. We can't. But I, I think we see him most is in the middle of chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And so to even get out of the boat is what that, that calls us to. We're not going to necessarily see him in every time. Yep. Yep. That's right. I don't like I know. I don't either. It's uncomfortable. Uh, I like. I have when I'm in the chaos. I have to ask for help. I don't like to do that. That's humbling. Dad, gum it. Yeah. But it's good. It's good for us. You said it though. It's 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 us getting out of the boat in the middle of the chaos with you. Yep. Getting out of the boat and and knowing that when we're in the chaos, all all we have to do is ask for help, and Jesus is there. With immediacy. Barrett, you got something? 
Yeah, just just one other thing to add about the idea of the boat. Thinking, I think sometimes about the life of like the kingdom, living with God as a stream, and me having my boat as my way of controlling that mm. and not submitting mm-hmm. fully to it. Because if I get out of the boat and I'm in the stream, like perhaps for a time it's it's a gentle float, right? It's awesome, but there's also the risk of I could drown in the stream. That's mm-hmm. the life of God, mm-hmm. like the me that I have as I am, and that costs me something. If if I have a lot of things, other things that I'm holding on to, yep, like it, it's it's hard to want to let those things go. Yep, uh, to pay that cost to be fully in that stream, and so the boat is that security to be able to control that myself. Absolutely.